Are we recording? I thought we were already tracking. There's like websites that you can go on where they'll do an automated version that they say they guarantee if you get audited and this comes up, they want to look into it, we'll back our, our work here. Like when they put that rule in place, even without the bonus appreciation, just like regular appreciation, it's like a business owner and operator yourself. That rule almost forces you to get a new car every like four years, five years, because you're almost always going to have years where you're like, I need to write off 50 grand. Welcome to the Cashflow Bros podcast, where three investors and realtors give you the inside scoop on everything investing in Birmingham, Alabama. It's interesting because I feel like I've... I've definitely listened to several different, you know, you hear about the whole Augusta rule and different stuff yeah. like that. And it feels like the guys who are like ringing every little tax code out of it is like the ones who are making so much money that they have to, they almost have to slash like the Augusta rule, unless they're maximizing like crazy, is not going to ping them because they're like, well, that's like a drop in the bucket of the overall tax. Yeah. So I don't know. That's interesting. But I mean, I know that your brother has helped me out a ton, Rob, with um with taxes, and it's definitely decreased since I changed over to him. Oh know? yeah. So that's been that's been beneficial. I got a couple grand back last year. There you go. First time in a while. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to as well this year because my um, with that changeover. So you know, I bought that portfolio last last year in spring. In the first year, I was at like fifty percent vacancy over the course of the first year. So like, I mean, it was five turns. And those just chew through those. I mean, turns are like that helps know, too. Five k a pop. That oh, helps yeah. too. So I don't. I have money saved back for taxes. I haven't done. I did an extension, but I don't think they're going to charge me a dime. Yeah. So, oh no. Probably. I, not. That helped me last year. Yeah. I will say Callie's car last year helped me the most, probably. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, we have used it for work like it's supposed to, but I mean, you you take something new like that. It's you got to understand you got to make the payments on it. But if it's right. time for a new car, anyways. <clears throat> yeah. There's no reason not. And la- sadly, last year was the. Last year for a hundred percent depreciation, but oh, doesn't it? It's like ninety percent, eighty percent now. Eighty percent, yeah. And what is it? There's it has to be over six thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. It has to be over six thousand pounds, and it has to be used for business fifty one percent of the time. Okay. And this is for anybody or real estate only? Uh, not real estate only. Anybody that owns their own business. Owns their own business. Yeah. Sure. So nobody that's W two is going to be able to get that. Did you do that for your new new truck? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right before the end of 2021. Did you do December or when did you buy it? It was November. November. It doesn't make that big of a difference. No, but it it does. There's like a degree to which you can look at, okay, here's where we are in terms of income and expense. You can look at your P&L and be like, Mm -hmm. all right, I've got. I need to spend money. (laughs) Yeah. I've got like 40,000 of, uh, income here left that like you know you can pay taxes on it or if you need a new car like go get a new car right mm-hmm. it'd be better to do it right now than next year right when bonus depreciation fades out yeah or you know which i wish or you might not have year. gains yeah the next year right so, yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I have so much in, I don't need to do this. Maybe 2023, but I don't even know then. Yeah. But yeah, 2022, I was like. From what my buddy Austin was telling me is that, like, when they put that rule in place, even without the bonus appreciation, just like regular appreciation, as like a business owner and operator yourself, that rule almost forces you to get a new car every like four years, mm-hmm. five years, because you're almost always going to have years where you're like, I need to write off 50 that, grand, 60 yeah, yeah. grand. So yeah. how does it work if you sell the car like early? You're supposed to you recapture the depreciation, but the thing is, is if you're buying a new vehicle that's just as expensive or more expensive, right? you're almost canceling it out. Like rolls. It, just, it yeah. rolls through. It's like a 1031 exchange. Yeah, except for vehicles. <laughs> Do not buy cars as a asset class. <laughs> no. That is bad advice. Terrible like, advice. Don't suggest it. Don't, don't even mention don't 1031 with this. <laughs> Some people will be like, well, they told me just to buy a new car and roll it over. I've no. always thought that the first part of the game is learning how to make money, and the second part is trying to keep it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm kind of in that transition. I've semi, not that I'm making head into a fist, but, you know, making some money. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how do I keep as most yeah. the, most of it? So, Have you ever, at the end of one of your years, had a good amount of money that you were going to have to pay taxes on that you went and purchased a property just to depreciate? Um, no, I've never, I've never done it that way. Do you think that's a decent, I mean, it's not a great route, obviously you're going to buy a property anyways, but like I've, I've seen people that buy like a small multifamily yeah. or something yeah. and then do the, um, it's not bonus the cost segregation, the cost segregation yeah. and it wipes out yeah. an entire, you know, $150,000 tax bill. Yeah, you could do something like that. And you're gaining an asset, Yeah, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah, you could do something like that. Buy I'm not new- in that tax bracket, by the way. I want everybody to know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like buy a new rental and run that <clears throat> cost segregation analysis and just get a bunch of depreciation year one that would wipe out some of your uh earned income i think that's it's definitely you know something that it, it's a good strategy if you're like i'm growing my portfolio anyways mm-hmm. i don't think i would go out and like do it just for that do it just for that yeah <clears throat> but if you can time up a purchase with you know needing that it's definitely something to or if you're buying something anyways and you're you kind of look and say okay, I've got some gains here that what I would do is end of the year, you look at your gains and say, all right, now how do I, what can I do? Like little tweaks to get rid of this because I don't want to pay any taxes. Mm-hmm. The The car, you know, bonus depreciation on a new vehicle is uh, is one thing or equipment. I think that qualifies too. Yeah. Something like the cost segregation, uh, analysis on a property, which you can do on properties you already own. You don't have to go out and mm-hmm. buy something. You could just say, like, I own that quadplex in Avondale. If I wanted to, I could say, um, all right, we're going to initiate a cost segregation analysis on that property now and accelerate the depreciation right. on that one. This year, if I decided now is the time. I mean, you can technically do it on single family. I th- yeah. I think there's been some people I know that have done it on, I air quote single family, but it is it's effectively like an Airbnb. So they're 
I mean, we're talking about a million dollar home. Yeah. yeah. So then cost segging, like payment cost segregation for a million dollar home makes a lot of sense. But if like you have a single, you know, 150K home, because they're expensive to, to do. Yeah. The, there are some less stuff. expensive ones. There's, there's automated, there's like websites that you can go on where they'll do a, an automated version that they say they guarantee if you get audited and this comes up, they want to look into it, we'll back our mm. our work here. Oh, interesting. interesting. And any if they, the IRS throws it out and says you owe a tax bill, we'll cover Pay it. it or, yeah. better, better read the fine print on that one. Yeah. You're, I, you're yes. more like buying cost segregation insurance than actually yeah. cost yeah. segregation. Yeah. That's really true. <laughs> yeah. But they, I mean, with like AI and everything now, I think they feel like yeah. they can do it with computers and get really pretty close. close. I'm pretty sure every yeah. single family home that's 1,400 square foot yeah. has the same things yeah. in it. And you see enough of them, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Right. You know, for ovens and what microwaves, yeah. whatever else you're mm-hmm. including in there. So what other, what other things have you done? Is there anything that's outside of those? Because those seem like two pretty obvious ones. Well, if you're a solo entrepreneur, there's a, um, there's something called a 401, I think it's called a 401 solo K or Mm. uni K, something like that. Interesting. It's a 401k for individuals. There's ins and outs on how you get the money in there. Like you can get up to $50,000 in there if you're an individual per year. Uh, Yeah. Really? So like the normal, Mm. For any normal employee, it's what, like 18,000? Yeah, it's like 16.5 mm-hmm. or something. 17.5, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a way you kind of like the company contributes some, you contribute some. Yeah. There's like little hoops, loopholes you jump through where you say, mm. this money came from here, this came from right. here. And it ends up being like 50 grand, you can get into it every wow. year. And if you, you know, have the money sitting around and you realize I've got 50 grand of income showing that, I don't really want to pay the taxes on. Like, let's just stuff it in this. Now you're still paying fifty grand because you got to put fifty grand in there. But I'd rather pay, oh, right. yeah, fifty grand to if you the, want to a future it. account yeah. than I would pay in taxes. Yeah, but there's investors that will, um, like, if they invest in notes or hard money lending, um, they can fund those accounts that way. Yeah, hmm. and then I was able to, you know, go in full time real estate, set up an S corp. And that's how I pay myself now through that S corp, and mm-hmm. then, then it it alleviates about fifty percent of the tax liability on your income taxes. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't completely. Obviously, you still have to pay income taxes. Yeah. but or it, do you? That's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know the answers. Yeah. We want the how do we answers. not? Um, but so, have you done an S corp? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think his his brother yeah. set, set me up for it. Yeah. This we really around. actually, you know, it'd be interesting is have him oh, come yeah. on a podcast. That would be good. And then we just grill him with questions and he'll fry his brain. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> That'd be, be great. Like, <laughs> sure, like, Listen, none of this is uh, he, actual CPA. He'll have to do like a disclaimer at the beginning yeah. of the podcast. He'll be like, this is just general for general information. Yeah. Um, that would be a good one. Yeah. He knows his stuff, though. Like, our the returns he used to do, like the company he worked for, did returns for huge developers that um, do, you know, hundreds of units, own hundreds of units. And so he was doing their returns. And so our stuff is like just lightweight cakewalk. Yeah. Yeah. He does it in his sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so he like really knew all the ins and outs and uh, stuff that like I'm like I'm definitely not big enough to be a client where they were where he was before. Mm-hmm. Um, like they would want me as a client. So that's uh, I wonder when you say really valuable. you know talking about writing off equipment. You know mm-hmm. if you're doing something like I don't know developing townhomes or something here mm-hmm. in Birmingham. Yeah, would you want to buy your own equipment? to build that kind of stuff or would you, are you hiring out general contractors to build that and let them do the equipment? Yeah. I don't know enough about the construction side. I'm sure. Just curious. It seems like, you know, if you're going to hop into that space in general, like, well, I guarantee that, um, the kind of things we're talking about here on the real estate ownership investing side, you could probably 10 exit on what you can do with a, construction company in terms of moving oh, sure yeah moving yeah. different purchases you make and timing of payments and how you uh show things on your accounting bookkeeping i do know that country clubs are not a write-off anymore oh uh, so just you already you. checked that one i already looked into that one yeah <laughs> got rid of that a while ago sadly so i'm you know we've talked a lot about the Huey Town deal mm-hmm. being into the so it is i think falling apart which is fine but new news has come to light i guess the 1031 guy has said that basically he could sell off everything in like a long term timeline and roll it into a 1031 and it doesn't like the the clock doesn't start ticking until like the loan Last, closes hmm. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't even know if that's correct, but it is the most recent information that he has, which is affecting the deal structure and his time. So he's talking about selling all of them and saying they're all going to be in 1031 and it doesn't have to go somewhere else until. It's a reverse 1031 exchange. He's saying he doesn't have to sell all of them at the same time now. And that That's good. when the loan closes is when they execute the 1031, which I don't fully understand because I thought after your actual property sale is when the time, That's what I thought. the clock starts clicking, ticking. So I'm a little confused about it, still working through it. But that's another thing that like, it would be really interesting to bring someone to really deep dive on a 1031 and yeah. really like lay out the nuts and bolts sure there's a lot of gray area there's potentially some but oh yeah um anyway so that's that's the most recent on that deal is we're we're it's kind of reframing the whole thing for him and so it doesn't um, help you when you're you're the one benefit you has (laughs) was is i'm willing to take this whole thing on at one time at one time yeah yeah yeah. so we'll we'll see what happens i'm not too worried about it um so Interesting. Yeah. It is interesting how these subtleties of like tax code or um, ten thirty one code or whatever, all these government like incentives to make us, you know, not make us do stuff, but to help us, you know, do stuff, really inform deal structure. Oh yeah, yeah for you sure. Know? And we work with a lot of investors, and sometimes they come to us for that very reason of like, I'm trying to restructure this because of X and Z, and you could you could honestly pick up properties or get a higher price point for property from another investor um we'll see that happen sometimes where we get offers on some of our listings and i'm like man this this offer blows everything else out of the water 
But what we don't know is the background reason. They could be just buying this for literally like an offset of taxes. And mm-hmm. they could care less that they're getting a quote-unquote deal on it because the deal is in the tax write-off. Mm-hmm. So it's true. you just, I mean, you try to get the properties out there as best as possible. Have you dealt with any buyers who are 1031-ing their money? I've talked to a couple of them that were wanting to do 1031, but it's never turned into the anything mm-hmm. yeah on the buy side gotcha yeah one one question then i want to get off the of taxes but taxes just run through my mind all the time um You're here's a question business. you should be in the irs <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i love me some taxes yeah i love me some how do i avoid them um <laughs> this is just a somewhat hypothetical but the situation that i'm going to be in this house that we're doing we're doing for ourselves mm-hmm. right but we didn't purchase it because we want to be at an arm's length transaction when right. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac come knocking on the door and, and write mm-hmm. us a conventional mortgage for it, right? Right. So when we sell it back to ourselves, we do have a joint venture agreement that describes the proceeds of the profits to be split between the partners, right? Mm-hmm. So technically, I'm supposed to get 70%. The other guy's getting 30 mm-hmm. You know, that leaves you a decent chunk of change, right? Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, is that the loan on the backside is coming from me myself mm-hmm. right my question is like do you have to pay taxes on it since you're getting a loan you yourself are getting a loan that your business is getting paid from yeah mm-hmm. you do have to pay tax on it because it's, it's a yeah. transaction it's a real mm-hmm. yeah transaction that's uh that's needs to Every part of it needs to that is, go through. That's totally fine. It's all the more reason to go buy a truck. It's all I needed, it's all I needed here. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Dodge Ram. Dodge Ram. <laughs> yes, sir. By. Oh, man. That's funny. That's all yeah. I got on that. No. Just curious what y'all's thoughts were. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. What else is happening in Birmingham in investing? Anybody got any deals going on? The, uh, I think the... Well, the other subject that, you know, I'd kind of thought about that people may be interested in, uh, you know, I think newer investors would probably wonder, and I think it's a very big part of the process, property management. Um, the hot topic of property management. <laughs> yeah. Property management. Not exactly sexy. No. <laughs> but very, very necessary and can absolutely make or break what you're doing. Um, it's in the category of, I, I guess I would say places where I always tell people the main ways, like real estate's a great investment. It's very hard to lose money. If you were trying to lose money, um, probably the best way would be work with people who are not uh, of good character and Dodge are good that they'll steal from you. Mm. And then that's how you lose money. That's I've seen um, majority of the cases I've seen people lose money. It's either vandalism or people getting stolen from either by a contractor or property manager or someone who's doing both. I was about to say, sometimes they're one in the same. <laughs> if, they're, if they're doing both, there's a very good chance. In my, you know, have having watched it, there's yeah. your odds go up if it's one person doing both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your odds go up of something. Mm. Uh, we need. I thought it was interesting. My property manager actually doesn't upcharge on the construction costs. Really? Yeah. Because they thought 
it, they felt it's a conflict of interest. Yeah. Because if they get a higher quote, mm-hmm. then technically they make more as well. Now, I know another property manager who I trust their integrity, and they charge 10%. And mm-hmm. I don't think 10% is enough to be like, oh, let's go with the quote that's 20, you know, 5,000 over 25,000. I mean, or whatever it ends up being, you know, um, 10% is still significant, but it's not enough to be like cheating your clients out right. in my opinion. But it still is an interesting concept of like, what are some questions you can ask your property manager to kind of pre-vet those like conflicts of interest? Yeah. You know, of like if if we actually don't re-rent to this tenant and kick them out, then we have we get a rehab cost, mm-hmm. and then we have um, you know a re-rent. Typically, are are more expensive, or a re-rent is cheaper than a than a new finding new tenant cost mm-hmm. setting them up. That said, most property managers are not looking for a headache of flipping a tenant, right. but yeah. technically, they make more money. When a tenant turns, yeah, mm-hmm. I do. I would say, like one thing, this is just from watching different property managers uh, in our market and other markets for the last six or seven years. That, and this kind of in the same line with like contractors, the cheapest one is especially with property management where, um, you don't want the cheapest one. You definitely like you would think, you know, as an investor, you're trying to cut costs, but as a small investor, you want someone who's really like taking your interest as their interest and that costs money. Mm-hmm. And you're, you've got to be willing to pay for that. It should be like, if you're owning rental properties, um, you know, it should be worth it to you for someone to really, take care of them like they're their own. And so that's, I mean, I'm a pretty frugal person. Like we were just talking about my desks were folding tables from Costco, but I think <laughs> property management is not an area where you try to cut cost to the bone, like right. whatever it costs to get someone really good to look after your properties, make sure everything they get turned over quickly, that collections are handled effectively, good tenants are being placed, all the tasks and processes associated with property management. um, I think if you're not going to learn it yourself to do it really well, then it's worth it to pay, uh, I would even say, above average for property management. Mm. Yeah. If you're looking at, I mean, I, I just went into a new market and that's kind of what I looked at. There's rock bottom priced people. And, uh, you know, th- that's something I've found with, with property management. Do rock bottom priced people, you think generally manage lower priced properties mm. versus the higher end stuff? It depends. You know, I don't know if there's necessarily a correlation there, but um, that would almost be even worse if you're like, that's what I'm thinking. It's like a paying, double whammy. Yeah, yeah. If you're buying properties, <laughs> properties that are difficult to manage and then paying someone bare minimum yeah. Oh, yeah. to do it, then their business doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And therefore, the person who's in charge of you know your asset 
is is not in a yeah. good position. Yeah. We worked with a client um, about a year ago that he had a portfolio and mm. he wanted to move his property manager because he was having such a difficult time with his current one. Mm-hmm. And that new property manager didn't just say, sure, just sign them all up. Like he went through his whole portfolio and says, you have to sell these properties mm-hmm. for me to take you on Yeah, because they were properties that he ultimately did not want to manage long-term. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, if you clean up your portfolio, I'll take on the rest of what you have left. And so we spent about a year selling off. Um, I wouldn't say I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure how much he had. I think it was probably about a third of his portfolio. Yeah. Um, and he was so, like I said, he had moved away from them. I don't know why 100. percent I think it was a relational thing. He just made a call, regretted that decision, wanted to go back mm-hmm. to it. Um, so property managers are definitely super super crucial to your success. Was that one of the first things when you started decided to go into Tampa? Was that one of the first things you started looking up and trying to figure out? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, having it really going well, I I would say we talked earlier about like mistakes I've made, like deals I've done where I didn't make money or things didn't go as planned. Um, not having a property management plan, like 100% feeling very confident and cranking, that's a, a failure point for those deals. Like, no question. Yeah. Um, the one I use in Birmingham, I feel very comfortable with. So anytime I buy anything here, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly, like, the costs, the processes, like, and that's really valuable. Um, going outside of Birmingham, there's been times where, uh, I either had to really work to figure that out in a new market or I never got it figured out. And, uh, (laughs) I can think of a property. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's kind of, I guess it's a lesson that, uh, I've learned. And I know a lot of people ask that, and sometimes I hear them asking the wrong questions about property managers. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, do they charge 9% or 10% of the monthly collected rent is not the right question, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's an easy question to ask, but yeah. it's not the right question. Yeah. You know, and even Google, what's interesting is like you could chat, chat GPT or Google like, what do I need to ask a, you know, PM? Yeah. And ultimately, like, there, there's probably a few hits that are probably good. But that may be something we could we could look into. We're having, like, on the podcast, we're having podcast ideas. Like, that's <laughs> that's the nature of this game. We're working it on the fly, baby. Right. So, so I might be throwing us under the bus on this, this proposal of a question. But I do think it's an interesting one. Rank in importance. I want each of us to just sit down and rank in importance, the team, if you're investing remotely, the team, obviously you have property managers, you got realtors, you have general contractors. Um, trying to think of who else would be, I mean, those are really the pillars of your team. Yeah. Rank the importance of each one. Go. We could be last. Number I don't one. Know yet. Number one, realtor. 
<laughs> obvious. That's, I think that's an obvious one, I would say. Uh, the reasons for that, um, because they can lead you to the right people that are in the other categories. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty common. I think, I think a, a property manager technically would be the most important. And then next would be GC and realtor would be last. But I think a good realtor will get you those other two. And a bad realtor will lead you down the wrong path. That's true. I guess I look at it from the standpoint of mm. people that know what we're doing. Kind of, I'm sure if you talk to a brand new realtor, they won't be able to help. Yeah. Or a bad realtor just in general. Yeah, brand new realtor or don't yeah. have connections or network. So I think finding and that's what you did in Tampa. You had a good realtor connection. Yeah. And everything grew from that connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's really kind of what I said was like, all right, I'm looking for myself but in Tampa. Right. Like, because I know if I f- if I find that right person, then um they're gonna lead me to the other right people to work with and kind of already have them like vetted like all the people we work with here I've worked with usually for like years now and so I feel great about recommending them very confident yeah um and I think that's what I was looking for in Tampa and uh the Sarasota part of what I'm doing there is like gone pretty pretty smooth because of that Mm-hmm. From good. finding vendors, it's awesome. Do you need to go grab your kids? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want to. Yeah, to... you got things to do. So, anyway, as always, uh, love y'all hanging out with us, listening to uh, the Cash Flow Bros. If you have, uh, we're probably going to start. You know, give us feedback on what these episodes could shape and topics and all that kind of stuff as we develop this. Shows, uh, tell us what you're interested in. So appreciate y'all coming out, and uh, we'll catch you next week.